Hey, welcome back. So glad that you're joining me for this second part of a two-part series that we're doing called Wise Up. Wherever you're watching from, we're really, really glad and thankful that you've joined us today. So we've been speaking on the subject of Wise Up, that it's time for us to wise up. Now, what do we mean by that? That we're to find our wisdom in these times that are unusual times, not just from wisdom that's on the earth, but wisdom that comes from God. Last week, we started this two-part series, and the good news is you can always go back and watch part one on our platforms, our media platforms. But basically, we looked at a couple of thoughts that we're living in a time where walking wisely is a very, very important thing. Not just walking with wisdom of this life, but knowing that wisdom that comes from God. We looked how wisdom is a key thing, and Scripture says to us that we're to treat wisdom as a principal pursuit in our life. Why? Because wisdom really becomes a part of the building block of the belief systems within us, and the belief systems within us create the behavior patterns that we choose to live in. As a man thinks in his heart, so he will be. We broke down the word philosophy to see that it simply means the natural love of wisdom and then reached the conclusion that we all love wisdom, so we're all philosophers. The question is, where are we sourcing the wisdom that we're choosing to love and the wisdom that we're choosing to allow to shape our belief systems and the life that we're living? Again, are we sourcing it from the world, from earth, from people on this planet that claim to know a few things? Or are we coming to God for the wisdom that we need? And then we finished last week looking at James 1 verse 5, that incredible invitation of God to us that we can come to him any time that we feel that we're lacking wisdom. But he says that we're to come to him and that we're able to ask him for wisdom and that he will give it in abundance without reproach. So God promises that when we recognize in our life there's an absence of wisdom, we shouldn't turn to the wisdom of his age that's based on the traditions of our fathers and the principles of everyday life. They're good, but we have a better option. God says, come to me and I will give you my wisdom my thoughts, my ways for doing things, and it's always a better wisdom. Now, I want us to stay today in the book of James, but I want us to turn now to the book of James chapter 3, and we're going to start reading from verse 13. Last week, we looked at James 1 verse 5, the invitation to come to God for wisdom. But then in James chapter 3, James begins to unpack for us the differences between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that comes from the earth and wisdom that comes from God. Very, very clear list. So I'm going to read you these verses from James chapter 3, verse 13. It opens by asking this, who is wise and understanding among you? Good question. Let them show it by their good life. Because again, remember, wisdom shapes behavior, um, uh, belief systems that shape 
behavior, um, things that we do in our world. Now, he's saying, let me let them show it by their good life. So he's saying that our behavior, how we live, the things we do are a demonstration in themselves of the wisdom that we're loving. And then it says, by the deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. It says, but if you harbor bitter envy, um, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. It says such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual and even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's interesting, isn't it? It's saying that worldly wisdom has the potential to produce in a person things like envy, selfish ambition, um, disorder, and even evil practice. It's amazing that it says that earthly wisdom that contradicts God's wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and even, he says, demonic. But then there's some good news. We get into verse 17, and it then speaks of the wisdom of God. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, from God, is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So you can see here, James is again talking about the two types of wisdom, a wisdom that comes from this world. Remember, Paul said that it's possible for a person to become a prisoner because of the wrong philosophies that they've um, believed to be true in their lives. But equally, it's possible for a person to experience abundance of life and abundance of freedom when they embrace the philosophy or the wisdom that doesn't come from this world, but comes from heaven, comes from God himself. Interesting, eh? This word that we use for wisdom is the word Sophia, and it's a heavenly wisdom. Now, I like it when you turn to the Strong's Concordance and you look up different words and see their true meanings. When you look up the word Sophia, the word that's used for wisdom when it speaks of heavenly wisdom, it, it has one definition of a wisdom that belongs to men. And it says that means like science and learning. Another definition is the intelligence, uh, the intelligence event, uh, evinced in discovering the meaning of some mysterious numbers or visions, the skill of managing certain affairs. That's speaking of human knowledge. But then it speaks of Sophia as the wisdom that we can know that comes from God. And it makes this statement that Sophia, or the wisdom that we can get from God, is supreme intelligence, such as that which belongs to God himself. It's wisdom that's in the mind of Christ. And then it says, the wisdom of God as evidenced in forming and executing councils in formation and government of the world and the scriptures. So I love that, that the Bible says that there's a wisdom that's of this world 
and that can help you to manage things. That can help you to understand science and increase your learning of certain things. But then there's another variety or type of wisdom, Sophia, which is supreme intelligence, such as belongs to God himself. Isn't that amazing that God wants you to know his supreme intelligence, that his ways are higher, his thoughts are bigger, and he wants us to know these things. That blows my mind. Leaves me with a simple thought, really. If there's this incredible wisdom, this supreme knowledge that's available to us, why would we settle for a lesser wisdom or lesser knowledge? Number one, we could do that if we are in ignorance, that we don't know that there's an alternative or a better option. Or we could do it out of rebellion. We choose to prefer what we know over what God wants us to know. It's an analogy I've used many times. It's like, you know, you can go down to one of these cheap corner shops and you can buy cheap lemonade or Coca-Cola. You know, they make it themselves. It's their own brand. It's a cheap corner store. But when you drink it, yeah, it kind of tastes like Coke or it kind of tastes like lemonade. But then one day you taste Coca-Cola, the actual product. And the moment that you drink that, suddenly the cheaper version is seen for what it is. Suddenly you think, my goodness, I don't know what that was that I was drinking before. But indeed, this is the real thing. And actually you're spoiled for other lemonade or Coca-Cola because you've had something superior. That's what should happen to us whenever we experience the wisdom of God. It should make other wisdom that was okay, nothing more than just okay. But we shouldn't go back to drinking the cheaper stuff. You see, this wisdom that we're speaking of is God's wisdom that he makes available for us to know in our daily lives. It's the wisdom that Adam knew. Hmm. Think about that for a moment. Before the fall of humanity, when Adam had been made in the image and the likeness of God, Adam knew not his own wisdom or the wisdom of a fallen world. All he knew daily was the wisdom of God. God's wisdom was his wisdom. God's way of doing something was his way of doing something. And that was the crime or one of the sad bits of the fall of humanity. You see, Adam had everything that he needed, all the wisdom he could ever need, he was already in possession of. And then we read the account in the opening chapters of Genesis of how the snake, the devil, the enemy, slips in and tries to persuade, successfully, sadly, that Adam and Eve that God is holding out on them, that there's a wisdom that they can know, um, a knowledge of good and evil, a wisdom and understanding that they can know, that God isn't letting them have, that they really need, but God's keeping it from them. And in that moment of deception, Adam and Eve do a maneuver that affected not just them, but every person that was born from them, which is all humanity. They turned from the wisdom of God to another or a lesser or an evil wisdom. They turned from God's wisdom to another wisdom and they began to love 
other wisdom. That other wisdom became their belief system. Out of that belief system, they found their behavior patterns. Sin began to rule. Sin led to death. And humanity began to spiral down and hasn't stopped. Now, the good news is that everything that was ruined in Adam has been restored in Christ. That means we believe in 100% redemption, that everything that was lost or ruined by Adam, the first man, has been restored and renewed by the second and last Adam, which is Jesus. But we still have a choice to make. God makes his wisdom available to us today like he did to Adam before the fall. The problem is many Christians are still looking to other wisdom. They're still trying to gain wisdom to fuel their choices and their decisions by earthly things, not heavenly things. And what we all need to do is make a decision to do a reverse maneuver on Adam. And that's to turn from other wisdom back to God's wisdom. Remember, Adam turned from God's wisdom to other wisdom. Now, the Lord encourages us because we've been redeemed to now turn from other wisdom inspired by the traditions of our fathers, principles of an earthly life and even Satan himself to turn from those other wisdoms back to what we could call pure wisdom or wisdom that's fullness of truth. Interesting, isn't it? But we can know today the same wisdom that Adam knew before he turned and fell from God. It's also the wisdom that Solomon knew. Remember, when we speak about Solomon, Solomon's reputation still remains today. When you read of Solomon, it says that he was and is the wisest man that ever walked. But it also says that Solomon was the richest man. And apparently people have tried to add up fortunes today. And Solomon still remains the one who has the reputation for the wisest man and the richest man that has ever been. Now, what you need to understand, and I need to understand, is he had no wisdom of his own that was worth anything. Solomon was a man that actually asked God for wisdom. And uh, God gave him wisdom. God was blessed by his request and gave him wisdom. And it was the wisdom that God gave Solomon that caused him to become the wisest man, that leaders of other nations would travel just to come and hear him speak because his wisdom was of heaven, not just of earth. Now, if you've got your Bibles with, me, with you, with me, turn them to the book of First Kings because I want to look at this conversation between God and Solomon. And I want us to see that the, the wisdom that God gave Solomon is available for us today if we will turn from other wisdom and say, God, give me your wisdom. The same wisdom that we ask for is the wisdom that he made available to Adam, but also this man Solomon. So First Kings chapter three, I'm going to start reading from verse five. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said to him, ask for whatever 
you want me to give you. Wow. Imagine if that was you. And God came with an open blank check and said, Solomon, I'm pleased by what I'm seeing in your life. Ask me for whatever you want. He could have asked for cars, but they weren't yet invented. He probably would have got the wisdom to invent a car. But see, Solomon knew what to ask for. It says, Solomon answered, you have shown me great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you had made me uh, you made your servant king in the place of my father, David. He's got a heart that's filled with thanksgiving. He says, but I am an only child and do not know how to carry on my duties. He's like, I look at what I've got to lead. And sometimes I'm thinking I haven't got what it takes. It says your servant is here among the people you have chosen a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart. Give me wisdom, God to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Can you see the purity of his heart? He could have asked for anything, but he says, you've given me the privilege to lead the people in the place of my father, David. I need wisdom, not of this earth to do that. Then it says in verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for death of your enemies, for, uh, uh, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, ne there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. That's enough, isn't it? God says, I've seen your heart. I'm going to make you to have a wisdom in leading in life that no one will ever be able to match. But then God hasn't finished. He says in verse 13, moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among the kings. And then he says, if you walk in obedience to me and my decrees and commands as far for your day as your father, David did, I will give you long life. So he comes to God. Well, God comes to him and says, ask me for anything. Solomon says, the thing I need most is wisdom. God says, I am so impressed that you have asked for wisdom. You will be wiser than anyone on the earth. But also because you never asked for wealth or long life or victory, I'm going to give you those things as well. You see, with wisdom comes every other thing that you need in life. That's not just true for Solomon. That's true for us as well. If we need anything in life, the thing that we need first, the principal thing, is wisdom that comes from God. Now, God wants us, all of us, like Solomon, to have a close relationship with wisdom and understanding. God doesn't want us to experience his wisdom once in a lifetime, every now and then, in random moments when the wisdom we were using doesn't work. Rather, God wants us to have an intimate, ongoing relationship 
with wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, he gives a persona to wisdom. He speaks of wisdom being a woman. He speaks of wisdom as if wisdom was a person. And he encourages us to have a continued relationship with the person of wisdom. Read through the book of Proverbs. It actually gives personality to wisdom. And God wants us to not visit it every now and then, but have relationship with his wisdom. Proverbs 7 verse 4 is a brilliant, brilliant passage on wisdom. And this is another thing I've made a part of the confession of my life. Every morning when I remember, I wake up and I say, thank you, Lord. I ask you for wisdom and that you give it to me in abundance without reproach, as we learn in James 1 verse 5. But also I love this proverb, Proverbs 7 verse 4. It says, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your intimate friend. Can you see the relational terminology that God encourages us to have with wisdom and understanding? He says, say to wisdom, you're my sister. It's funny. You know, sometimes I actually declare that out loud when I'm praying in the morning, when I'm leading the church, when I'm making a decision over the journey or the next for family church or my life. Sometimes I just stop and I say, wisdom, you're my sister and understanding you're my intimate friend. I also allow someone else into the party. I've added this one. I let prudence in as well, because the Bible speaks again in Proverbs a lot about the power of prudence. So we want to be asking and thanking the Lord daily that wisdom is like a sister to us. that understanding is like an intimate friend and prudence, the ability to wait in our decision making, to understand timing is never far away from the party of our life either. So this is encouraging, isn't it? God wants us to know his wisdom like Adam knew it before he fell. God wants us to be able to enjoy and see the profit of his wisdom like Solomon did. But when we make wisdom the principal thing, that's exactly what Solomon did. Then God adds to us the other things that we may have put on our list um, uh, at number one in former times of our life. So we understand that our conclusions from today are very simple. Let's turn back to God's wisdom. If we've been living by just worldly wisdom, things our parents taught us that don't agree with the wisdom of God, things that we learn from books, even they were, if they were books on philosophy, but they don't agree with the wisdom of God. Let's turn back to the wisdom of God. Let's come to him like we learned last week and say, God, I know I lack wisdom. Give me your wisdom in abundance. Let's be a people that ask God for wisdom. Maybe you're facing situations today and you've got choices that you need to make and they're important choices. Don't make those choices on your own. Do what James encourages us. Ask God. Pull away from the crowd. Find a field. Lock yourself in your wardrobe. Get away from people and ask God for heavenly wisdom knowing that he's promised that he'll give it to you without reproach. Then also make a decision 
to have a relationship with wisdom and understanding. Don't let them be things that you visit when things are breaking down, but allow God's wisdom to be a part of your everyday life. Do you know one thing I always try to do and I always encourage anyone that I'm discipling to do, and that's to treat the book of Proverbs like a jar of vitamins. There's 31 Proverbs. And, you know, for a big chunk of my life, I've always tried to eat one proverb a day. Why? Because the book of Proverbs is loaded with wisdom. And as you're reading through it, you're memorizing it. It's becoming what you believe to be true. It becomes the wisdom that you love. It shapes your belief system. And suddenly the things you do and the things you don't do begin to change. Why? Because your behavior patterns are servants to your belief systems. And your belief systems come from the wisdom that you're loving, your philosophy. So we make a decision today to turn back to God's wisdom, to be a people that ask God for wisdom, to be a people that have a relationship with wisdom. Wisdom, you are my sister, understanding an intimate friend. Let me close with this thought from Psalm 121. And uh, verses one to two says, I lift my eyes to the mountains, to where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. What if we changed that today and we said, I lift my eyes to the mountains. I lift my eyes above worldly wisdom to God. Where does my wisdom come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of all things, including heaven and earth. I hope this has encouraged you today. Remember, our series has been called um, Wise Up. Let's be a people in pursuit of wisdom, but not the wisdom that comes from a fallen world. But let's wise up. Let's look up for the wisdom we need for the lives that we're living here and now. Hope you've enjoyed this. Have an amazing week. Remember, call wisdom your sister and understanding your intimate and most closest friend. God bless.